The Crowded House Church originated in 2000 in Sheffield, England. It was founded by Steve Timmis and Tim Chester. In the years that followed, through planned church planting, the Crowded House would grow into a network of churches. While the churches were said to be led by a group of elders, it was clear that Steve was in charge. Sometime in 2012 or 2013, the Crowded House would join Acts 29. Acts 29 is a global church planning organization that was founded in 1998 by Mark Driscoll and Dave Nicholas. Steve Timmis was quickly named the European director for Acts 29, and later in 2013, he would take on the CEO role. Steve Timmis would maintain the CEO role of Acts 29, as well as his eldership and leadership responsibilities in the crowded house until 2020. On February 3rd of 2020, Matt Chandler, who has been the president of Acts 29 since 2012 and is also the lead pastor of the Village Church, which is a part of the Acts 29 network, abruptly announced that Steve Timmis was being transitioned out of his CEO role of Acts 29. In the announcement, Matt praised Steve for his leadership and helping grow the Acts 29 network during his tenure. Steve was going to be sent on a sabbatical so that he could rest and recover. The very next day, Matt Chandler released an update to the announcement on Steve's departure. Now, Acts 29 said that two weeks prior, the network board was made aware of some accusations of abusive leadership by Steve Timmis. After an internal investigation, the board found evidence that he should be transitioned out of his CEO role immediately. On February 7th, Christianity Today released an article on Steve Timmis and his removal. In the article, Christianity Today said that 15 individuals who served under Timmis described a pattern of spiritual abuse through bullying and intimidation, overbearing demands in the name of mission and discipline, rejection of critical feedback, and expectation of unconditional loyalty. In the days and weeks that followed Matt's announcements and the Christianity Today article, Steve Timmis resigned from the eldership, board of trustees, and membership from the Crowded House. The remaining leadership of the Crowded House reached out to 318, an independent charity organization that helps churches and other organizations protect people from abuse, and asked for an independent investigation into the Crowded House. 318 sought feedback from current and former members, elders, trustees, employees of Acts 29, and Steve Timmis himself. Steve did not participate in the 318 inquiry. In total, 83 individuals or couples provided feedback to 318. At the conclusion of the investigation, 318 published a 98-page report, which included firsthand testimonies about Steve and the leadership of the crowded house. In my opinion, the report is a must-read for everyone. It is shocking and saddening, but unfortunately not surprising. The following are some excerpts from the report. The report stated it was not uncommon for people to break down in tears during the interviews as they described the painful occurrences that affected them deeply. The report said people who disagreed or challenged Steve and leadership were labeled as rebellious, unrepentant sinners or going against scripture. Some respondents shared that they had difficulties now in trusting in a God of grace or that they had walked away from the faith entirely. Others talked about the significant emotional, spiritual, and mental damage they experienced. The report goes on to state that every alleged incident of abuse, bullying, harassment, control was known by somebody. People were told that they could leave if they didn't buy into the vision or if they challenged Steve and leadership. 
As the report states, some left well, others left quietly and took their stories and questions with them. Often they were too bruised to speak out or take action. And then there's this, as one elder commented, I am beginning to see that we have effectively brushed over these concerns because we never really dared to listen. In my opinion, this is one of the most chilling statements of the entire report. People went to this church to find community, hope, joy, and love, but some had to leave quietly. Each voice too bruised to share the hurt and pain they experienced, and the leaders who were supposed to be shepherds looked the other way and let them leave without asking any questions. 1 Peter 5.2 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. John 10.11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Crowded House gave an apology after the report was released. You can still find it on their website today. They are still affiliated with Acts 29. Today, Acts 29 has grown to nearly 800 churches worldwide. On the Acts 29 website, they say that Acts 29 is a diverse, global community of healthy, multiplying churches. I wish I could tell you stories of abuse like those from the crowded house in Mars Hill are isolated incidents, and that voices that were too bruised to step forward and share the truth of what happened to them was uncommon. That church elders who never dare to listen to those who have been abused, marginalized, neglected, gaslit, slandered, and pushed aside were an anomaly. But that is not reality. I'm Jonna Harris, and this is the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast, a podcast committed to being a platform for church abuse survivors to reclaim their voices and stories. And through sharing these stories, we hope that abuse victims and survivors will find a place where they feel heard, known, and loved. I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't gonna stop. Hello, I'm Jonna Harris, and with me is my amazingly talented, research extraordinaire, very humble, wise friend, Jake Hoyle. Not, none of that is correct. That is fine. not true. He is all of those things. And we are the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. And I feel like we should probably start off with why we wanted to do this podcast. Why are you here listening to this? What are we doing? Do you want to kind of enlighten them, Jay? I guess I can. I can try. So I think for for us, right, Jonna, that mm-hmm. this really all started with uh, our church here in California, uh, where we had some allegations of abuse that Jonna was the catalyst for that against our lead pastor. And of course, we don't go to that church anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that entire process uh, of going through the abuse allegations, trying to follow the correct you know, biblical way of addressing this. Um, we were presented with a lot of different roadblocks and hurdles 
to share the truth. And yeah. as that happened, we were all shocked, not only Jana, but most of the church, like, why is this so difficult? Like, this is just so obvious what's going on. <laughs> and we, we, just want, we just want justice and we just want what's right mm-hmm. uh, for these abuse victims to be heard and be uh, taken seriously. And we just never got it. And we engaged not only our leadership, but eventually we had engaged Acts 29. And as a result, you'll hear in Jonah's story, most of the, the majority of the church left. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonna was on leadership. She was on staff. I was part of the leadership team. I was part of the you know, MC group uh, leadership team. And I actually was the lead guy or the lead individual on the hiring committee for our pastor who the allegations came out mm-hmm. eventually. <laughs> um, and... As we started to debrief and mourn and go through all of this stuff, we just really started to research, like, why did this happen? How could this happen? And as we did, uh, we just found an avalanche of stories, uh, mm-hmm. these unheard voices and unheard stories of church abuse, specifically in Acts 29. And we saw very, very similar patterns. Um, so that's why we're doing it. We yeah. want to talk about it. We want to honor these voices and give them a platform to share what they've gone through. And hopefully um, others will hear and find um, peace and find a place where they feel heard, known, and loved. And that's really why we're doing it. And it's painful. Like, we mourn it because it's not fun to share this stuff. Like, we wish we didn't have to, and we wish these voices Mm -hmm. were heard and forgiveness and reconciliation happened, but it didn't. And we need these voices heard. It's important. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's why we're doing it. That's from my perspective, John. Anything else? That was great. I would fully agree as somebody who has gone through it and experienced spiritual abuse. um, It was important for me to find a way to shine light on the darkness that um, so many people throughout this network are experiencing. And uh, like Jay said, the stories just are, are covered or not being told. People are scared. There's so many factors that go into why, these stories are not told, but we wanted to come together and kind of support people and build others up and give them the tools to be able to come forward and share their stories so that hopefully there's repentance and change and um, that we can just help others heal and protect people from experiencing this, give them the words for what they're experiencing because it is so disorienting. So that is why we wanted to do this podcast. Yeah, and to start there, we're going to talk about uh, the story you heard about the Crowded House and Steve Timmis. Before we do that, um, and when we talk about Crowded House and Steve Timmis, we're going to look at the 318 report, just a small section of it. We're going to post the report to our show notes so you can see it or read it because um, it's a great, it's a, it's, a, it's a troubling report, and I think everybody should read it. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Acts 29. Let's start with the name. Um, what is Acts 29? So Acts 29 is a church planning organization. Uh, their name, uh, there's no 29th book of Acts. Um, Acts st- stops at Acts 28. So in essence, they're really trying <laughs> to say we are a continuation of the church. Yeah. I think. I think that's what they're saying. I think uh, so too. They, right? Regardless, they want to grow and expand the church's reach. And how they do this is through church planning. Uh, what is church planning? Uh, there's a lot of different definitions out there. I'm just going to give you one from Wikipedia. Uh, in a church planning movement, churches plant more churches within a people group or geographic area. The church will sponsor formation of multiple spinoff churches that them that will themselves very qu- quickly reproduce nurture, new churches, generally with common teachings and doctrines. 
So you have a like a, a main church or a hub church mm-hmm. that spins off similar churches with same theology, sometimes even the same leadership group. Uh, and that's really how it works. Um, on their website, uh, at the, when, the, when you go to their website, Acts 29 actually says they are a global community of healthy multiplying churches. Uh, we offer church leaders decades of experience, <laughs> proven training and guidance in tools for planning churches designed to grow and thrive. The call to make disciples is answered most effectively through gospel-centered churches. Pardon our laughter on some of this. Um, <laughs> personal experiences. So where did, where, did, where did Acts 29 start or how did it start? So Mark Driscoll formed Acts 29 in the late 90s with another gentleman by the name of Dave Nicholas. Um, Dave Nicholas is um, not part of... Acts 29 Church. He actually founded a church called Spanish River Church in the late 60s. It's a Presbyterian church, but he had a church uh, passion for church planning on his website or on the Spanish uh, River Church website. It actually says that that church, Spanish River, partnered uh, to plant over 500 chances, uh, churches worldwide, and and one of those churches are, was the Acts 29 Church Network. So he started it with Mark Driscoll. We all know who Mark Driscoll is. If you don't, just Google Mars Hill. There'll be plenty (laughs) of information for you to dig into and research. Uh, Dave Nicholas seems to kind of go off. uh, Basically, I can't find really anything else about him. He disappears from the story. He does. He disappears in the early 2000s, and then Driscoll takes over. And we all know how that went. It didn't go well. It went real bad. still isn't going well. Real bad. (laughs) Really, really (laughs) Really, really bad. Um, so who leads them today? So it's not Mark Driscoll. Uh, I will say that the the president today was around. A lot of these guys that we're going to talk about, they were around when Driscoll was around mm-hmm. too. So Driscoll had a lot of trainings, boot camps, uh, Acts 29 trainings, and they were all there. So yeah. That's what is like unsettling as you start digging into things like Jay and I are. We joke about having bulletin boards with strings because everyone's so interconnected. A lot of these names that you're going to hear coming up just from the website are people who were formed underneath Mark Driscoll's teaching. So these these trainings he does um, or did back in the day that are actually almost they're kind of famous now. They're infamous now in Christian pop culture. A lot of these men were raised up and formed within. So those ideas spill into their ministry, whether they want to admit it or know it or have decided they don't (laughs) publicly, they do because it's how they were. They were little babies and they grew up with this as their daddy. So yeah. And the whole like bodies behind the bus came from a it actually came from an Acts 29 boot camp mm-hmm. that he did. I think it was like in 2007. Yes. So who leads them today? That is a great question. Jonna, do you know who leads them today? <laughs> so Matt Chandler, who uh, you heard in the story in the beginning of the episode, he is the lead pastor for Village Church, which Jay attended. Um Coming out Did not of sign the membership covenant. Never signed it. That is so a very scary membership me. covenant. No, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> You're not bound legally to not be speaking about not this. Bound. The NDAs. Yes. yes. So ahead. Matt Chandler is the president and he was the president when Mark Driscoll was kicked out of the network. And 
Um, and then Brian Howard is the executive director, and I actually have worked with Brian Howard. So I have um, some firsthand experience with him as a human. And then um, that is all I know as far as the top level. The rest of it, yeah. Jay has been digging for. <laughs> I, well, I just, I mean, they, they, it looks like they have uh, executive director is Brian Howard, and then they have two associate directors. I, I'm assuming those those three individuals run the show. Mm -hmm. And then Matt is the president of the board. And then there's six other board members and they all look like they're pastors except for two of them. So, I mean, you can Google it, you can find out, but, you know, in essence, when the Steve Timmis stuff went down, you know, Matt Chandler was around, I believe Brian Howard was around as well. I don't know what capacity he was at, at with Timmis, but they were also around when Mark Driscoll was around yep. too. So it, these names are not new names to that actually nine world. Mm -mm. So, all right, so what do they believe in? So this is straight from their website. Acts 29 is a family of church planning churches. There's the church planning that stands in the tradition of historic evangelical confessionalism. While we believe it is vital that the elders of each of our local churches determine where they stand on the doctrines of second importance, we do wish to make known our convictions of the following five distinctives. So they have five distinctives. We'll post links to the website so you can read them. I'm not going to take time to read all of them, but I want to read the fourth one because this one comes up in a lot uh, in in the Steve Timmis report, and it also comes up a lot in other stories that we hear. Distinctive four says we are deeply committed to the spiritual and moral quality of male and female and to men as responsible servant leaders in both home and church. This is, in essence, it's called complementarianism. If you read the whole distinctive, it's pretty long, but the very end of it, it, it goes through like what it basically says, this is what we think men and women can do. And then at the very end, it says the elders, elders slash pastors of each local church have been granted authority under the headship of Jesus Christ to provide oversight and to teach and preach the word of God and corporate assembly for the building up of the body. The office of elder pastor is restricted to men. Yep. So high level. What is complementarianism? So there's there's a couple different views on women and men and their roles, gender roles in church and home. Uh, we're not going to get into all of them, but for Acts 29, for corp, uh, for Crowded House, for other churches we're going to talk about. Reformed. Acts if you network, hear about reformed, reformed churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's a great way of looking at it, reform. They're complementarianism. They, they're complementarian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. They believe that while men and women are created equally in God, they have different roles. Women can't preach and they can't be elders. Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty much, that sums it up. What are they supposed to be doing, Jonathan? <laughs> They're supposed to be cooking and cleaning, <laughs> giving back rubs to their husbands, pushing out Don't a lot of babies. <laughs> Don't say that. That's not good. Yeah, that's I mean, I good. think like the the gracious way to say it would be that there's two there's roles and they complement each other so women are equally important in the church and they can be very useful within ministry it's just the just the office of pastor elder is restricted from women uh, that's the belief biblically in a soft complementarian church which i would say it was our church when I was hired was soft complementarian. I was allowed to be the worship leader. I was allowed to speak from stage. I was even allowed to teach. I just was not allowed. I was not given an elder role. So I wasn't making a big 
any of the big decisions, my voice was not allowed there, which at the time I did not mind. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. that would be the difference is another church that's not complementarian. You would have male and female voices kind of at the helm of that ship. Yeah. And we'll go we'll go into that a little bit more detail later. But yeah. We wanted to give that overview. So last two points, what does Acts 29, what do they want to be known for? So what does an Acts 29 church want to be known for? Or what does Acts 29 in the network want to be known for? Planting healthy, multiplying churches. There's that multiplying again. Mm-hmm. Pursuing holiness and humility. Being a radically diverse and global community. Mm-hmm. Praying for conversions through evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. So... Interesting. Lots to talk about there as far as the radically diverse. We yes. will save that for later. Uh, okay. Uh, so what does success look like for an Acts 29 church? So three things for a successful Acts 29 church uh, to look like. It's recruit church planners dedicated to leading healthy and multiplying churches. Assess men on core competencies to lead healthy and multiplying churches. Uh-huh. Sorry. <laughs> Development who are planning or leading healthy multiplying churches through coaching, training, and support. Can a lot I, of dudes in that. Yeah, a lot of right men. There. It's very men-centric. Men. Uh, when you looked at the website, did it actually say what success looks like? Yeah, it okay. says that. Like on their website, yeah. it says, what does success look, what success looks like? Yeah. It's, probably, it might, yeah. It's so interesting to me because as I've heard people's stories and kind of like gathered more of a full picture view of what Acts 29 is, it is so like that verbiage even alone is so damaging. This idea of success. Yeah. Like what is success in a church? Like, like what are you, I guess, what are you measuring? Yeah. It's, it's very bizarre. And you'll (laughs) see over the next, um, chunk of time that we're exploring Acts 29, you'll see how this view of success has actually been so detrimental to humans yeah. and to souls and to churches. Um, but yeah, I just found that I feel like that's something we should really think about that they would even make it a point to say, what does success look like for us? And then, of course, all the success is all just related to growing and building up men. Men, men growing. Well, it'd be weird. It would be like, it'd be great if you just had, what do we want to be known for? Like, that's it. Yeah. You just want to be known for that. But then they add the, that's a good point. Like, then you add the success thing. Yep. We want to be known for this, but please also look at how successful we are. (laughs) We do this thing. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, so John, earlier you heard John share the story about Steve Timmis and the Crowded House and the 31-8 report. It's a 98-page report. I believe everybody should review it. Mm-hmm. If you have time, you should really read it. It's a very troubling report. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things in that report. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it today is because there's a lot of similarities in that report uh, and other stories that we're going to hear. Yes. So the bulk of the report is based on 10 sections. And each section, there's more of like a statement or a question that's asked and then the 31-8 team went and asked the same 10 questions or statements to all the participants. I think there was like 83 total participants, couples or individuals, that responded back to this report or this inquiry. Now, think about it. That's kind of shocking, too. I mean, there's only 83 out of like how many, probably hundreds, maybe even thousands yeah. of people went to that church. And it probably wasn't thousands, but let's say, you know, several hundred mm-hmm. um, and 
he only got 83. So there's a lot of stories that were omitted, but even the ones that the ones that did respond, it was pretty shocking. Yeah. So we're going to read five of the sections today. Not like the whole thing, because that would be super boring. We're just going to read excerpts because each section has, it's an anonymous quote. So they'll have like an anonymous quote and then they give, they talk about their findings. So we're going to read that and then talk about it. And while we're doing that, we're going to try to go back to that. What does success look like? And try to see if there's any similarities (laughs) between the two. Yes. All right. So let's start with statement one or question one. As far as is possible, a comprehensive picture of Steve Timmis's activities in relation to the alleged harm caused to individuals whilst serving as an elder at the crowded house. First, I wish I was British. Because their use of the English language is far superior to ours. So I when I read this, I'm like, this is amazing. Why can't I be British? So not amazing in content, amazing in the verbiage and how yes. they, they structure their It's sentences. more beautiful, so, for sure. The content is atro- is horrible. Yes. So. All right. So I'm going to look at, I'm going to, they have a section in there called the inner circle and the outer circle, Jonna. Yep. I have got that pulled up right here. All right. So the gist of it is, it sounds like there was clicks at the crowded house and the inner click was Steve Timmis and his family. Yes. That's what it seems like to mm-hmm. me. And probably like the elders too, right? Um, so they used to, I guess, the inner click used to talk about, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is horrible. Yeah. Used to talk about everybody else. Yeah. And they did it in a way where they would do it at their house, like at family gatherings, which is just yeah, like crazy. At, so at again, birthday, at the birthday table, it says. <laughs> a birthday. T- so yeah. that was a name, right? And like, he's the pastor, like he's the leader, yeah. right? So there's this one quote, or it's an excerpt. um, It starts with, as a result, not everyone reported feeling comfortable with being part of the inner circle. Well, no, duh. (laughs) I I mean, please. Yes. So this is the quote. It says, I became increasingly uncomfortable when the conversations that were occur in the kitchen, for example, stories of other people's struggles, faults, or mistakes— was kind of pastime as their children would enter in the space and bring up the latest piece of information gleaned from the community, whether good or bad. I mean, come on. Yeah. So they're just gossiping about other people's problems, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's how I read it. Which, I mean, a pastor, you're privy, I mean, any staff, leadership, church position, you're usually privy to very personal things going on in people's lives. Uh, so the stuff that was being talked about is personal, private things, it sounds like. And it says, because I was in the inn, or because I was on the inn, so the inner circle, I was privy to these conversations, but in time realized that my own experience were entertainment too, is details were swapped, repeated, and added to as new details were found. At first, I felt there was no harm meant uh, joined in and joined the inclusion. Later, I just chose to be silent. Increasingly, I wanted to remove myself as I felt compromised to be hearing personal information mm-hmm. and stories. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And this person says, questioning if I was, if they were gossiping. And then at the end, it talks about like, I guess Steve would come in <laughs> <laughs> and a common directive that Steve encouraged, uh, I don't know, here it is. Steve's wife would tell him how he should intervene 
propping up a sense that only Steve could sort out these issues. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That word directive comes up quite a bit in these 318 report, and it gives me, like, the chills for any of you who are listening right now that are former or current Acts 29 uh staff or at a church that is within the Acts 29 network, you probably hear the word directive a lot and it's not usually used in a way that is nice. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, it just gives me like a cringy, like the willies or something. So, I mean, I mean, that's just horrible. So, you know, and and part of what your story, John, that you're going to share and other stories we'll hear is this thing, like when you have allegations of abuse, you don't want to gossip, right? You need to Take your, you know, you yep. as the abused victim need to take your, <laughs> need to take your issues to the person who abused you and somehow, I don't know, figure out how yeah. to reconcile against they, your abuser. The in whole some Matthew 18 way, way yeah. of doing things where you go one on one to the person who wronged you. Yeah. yeah. But in that example, like I read that, I'm like, they're, I mean, that's horrible. I mean, they're all gossiping about people in the church and it's almost like this arrogance that yeah. only we, can solve all of these problems, which is just yeah, that beyond. form of gossip is um, allowed and acceptable. Yeah, but gossip in regards to someone coming to forward with abuse allegations is sin. So well, I'm going to talk a little bit more. We're still under the same section again. So um, uh, we're looking at as far as it is possible, a comprehensive picture of Steve Timmis's activities in relation to the alleged harm caused to individuals whilst serving as an elder at the crowded house. So he's an elder. He's clearly he's in the in crowd and he's gossiping about people. Yep. Now we go to they have a section called divided loyalties. And this is when he started on Acts 29. I think this whole thing is really important. But there's two quotes that I think are are striking and and should be read and discussed. So the first is um, a number of people believe that the influence of Acts 29 upon the crowded house was less than helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like a British way of saying was bad. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> the, that's the way I look at it. Was at it was a bad influence. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we do feel that there has been a shift in the culture church culture over the past four years, it often feels like the church has become a showcase mm-hmm. of Acts 29 with the Acts 29 motto being repeated every Sunday. Again, I, this is so common in Acts 29 churches to hear all about Acts 29. Yep. Whilst we were blessed by as many uh, visiting preachers, it started to feel like a show, um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the, the next one is we have also suffered from a culture of arrogance, a belief yes. that our way is better than, than other churches and that Steve Timmis is effectively infallible. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, like, they'd have Acts 29, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, they'd have people come in to speak from Acts 29 and tell them how wonderful they were. Yep. <laughs> and how great of a model they are. Mm-hmm. So I think... A lot of that has to do with that. Like he wrote a book, right? It was called Life on Life. And, and we'll talk about Life on Life later. But it really, it was it was a model for how to live, I guess, more missionally. And you read in this report, it really was not healthy at all. And I think Acts 29 looked at that as a way of like, we want to be like that. Look at what they're doing and living missionally. Yeah, and, it's and it's gospel-centered life, becoming the person God wants you to be. Is that what we're talking about here? Gospel-centered church, everyday church, everyday yeah. church, total church. <laughs> These are his books, right? Yes. 
Yeah. Do you I think mean, he's, he's selling few. any books now? Probably to all the people that <laughs> within X29 that hired him. <laughs> they're all Anyways. they're all buying his books, I'm sure. <laughs> so so there you go. So um <laughs> So you had a situation where actually now you came like a showcase. You, mm-hmm. And again, you could see, you could sit, you can understand how challenges or issues could arise from this when you have this perceived arrogance that your way is the best way. You're not open to other understanding or listening to people. So yeah. when there are allegations that come out against Steve or whoever, like you, you, why would you believe them? Look how great you are. Look how great yeah. your church is and look what influence you have. Well, yeah, well, so. they effectively made it so that no one can come out against him. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't, I don't know that that was purposeful in this instance, you know, but they, there was so much, I call it back rubbing going on from yeah. the upper echelon of the Acts 29 network to Timis and the Crowded House that they created an environment that made it so that if you come up against Timis, if you ask him a question, you're not only coming up against Timis, you're coming up against your whole church and you're not only coming up against your whole church, you're coming up against your whole church network. That's international oh, network of Acts 29. So if Acts 29 has defined it as a good thing and you know from being on the inside that it's damaging and abusive, you have all the odds stacked against you if you want to come out and say something. Imagine the shame you feel. Yeah. Right? You're probably going crazy. You're like, I'm clearly something's going on here. Mm-hmm. I don't feel right. But everybody else tells me how great Steve is and how great this church is. And now, like, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to do. Not only that, but Steve, he was in charge of overseeing how churches set up their basically hierarchy, right? Like, oh, that's a good point. I guess. I don't I mean he was the CEO, so he had a lot he, to do his with His idea the of culture, yeah, and vision, all of that gets infused into the whole network, all of these individual churches. So, when you start questioning, well, when Steve is doing this at Crowded House, it's like these are the effects. This is what the outcome of Steve's leadership is. You start questioning that you're actually questioning the leadership of every church in the network because he is the one that's teaching those. So it's really you're coming up against so much. And this poor congregation was dealing with that. And they shouldn't That's have really been. Sad. Honestly, the network should have been. But we'll get into that more, I'm sure, as we go. Yeah. They should have been the ones questioning Steve. <laughs> so let's talk about the elders. Um, so section two or point two uh, is to gain as far as possible a comprehensive picture of any other crowded house leaders activities in relation to, to any harm they are alleged to have caused individuals while <laughs> serving as an elder at the crowded house. And I again, I, I'm influencing some words here because I, I want to be British so, um, <laughs> and I'm not British at all. So um, so this this really section is broken down and it talks through the elders and their view and it has some pretty insane quotes from the elders. And we're going to get to a couple of them. And then it also talks about trustees and their accountability. I actually feel like this is a really like if you're going to read any section in this report, this is one that I think you should read mm-hmm. just because it really speaks to the culture that the church had and helps you understand what John had just talked about, what people were up against and what they were facing. And that's section two, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So this is section two, yeah. So question two, section two. 
So the quote I have is the accounts, uh, the accounts of members, employees, volunteers, past and presents, elders and trustees all indicate a widespread belief that in the 21 history of the Crowded House, there has been no one who has been able to challenge the views of Steve Timmis. <laughs> well, that's just great, right? It sounds radically diverse. <laughs> it's radically diverse. And they're, oh, oh, that's a good one. Oh, you, yeah. And it talks about um, training. Well, this is the training part. Remember, really good at training. They want to yeah. train people. What was the one? Assesses men based on the core competencies to lead healthy Yes. Multiplying churches, but you can't challenge him. And so. this was a view of health that was championed within the network is you, this man who for tw- over 21 years of ministry, he was the CEO of X29. <laughs> of no X29. one could challenge him. No one. Well, well, it also says below that, it says this has been linked into what has now been perceived as Steve Temis's need and requirement for unconditional loyalty. Yep. Which I wonder why he would fit in so well within this network when the person who started it was excited to have bodies behind the bus if they weren't on his bus. (laughs) They were getting run over by his bus. So this is a quote. Again, this is the elder section. So I'm assuming this is an elder pastor present. It says, Steve Temis was impossible to challenge. Anyone who attempted to challenge him was liable to end up apologizing to him (laughs) challenge a challenge was seen as a personal attack yeah disloyalty disobedience there was only one way to leave well with the blessing of the elders to a church plant or an approved group Mm -hmm. you can't challenge the guy he needs your loyalty and then if you do challenge him you're wrong yeah and you're wronging him challenging him was sinning against him in his eyes all right, so this is where it gets really, I, I, this is like the worst part of the report. I've read this multiple mm-hmm. times and I just, ugh. <laughs> it gives me like the creeps. Yeah. So this is another quote. Um, this is an elder. It says, I've reflected endlessly over the past weeks on the nature and extent of T- Steve's guilt and by extension, my own complicity, which that statement by itself is insane to me yeah. because you are complicit. Yep. Like if you're an elder here and you fostered this level of abuse, you're guilty. You are. You're guilty of it. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Some of those who are hurt by Steve had their own issues mm-hmm. that compounded the situation. That doesn't matter. You're a shepherd. You're called to shepherd these people. Yeah. Whether they're hurt or not, that's horrible. Yes. That's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> Steve had a way of exposing a person's insecurities. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I assume he did this unwittingly by the intensity of his vision or a misplaced form of discipleship. But I also wonder if perhaps it might have sometimes been intentional, intentional means of control. Yeah. So what's going on there, Jay? (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. Like this again, this is me speaking. So but that's like sickening. It is. Of course he used it. In my opinion, I read this whole report. He, of course, used it for control. And these people... Felt horrible. Yeah. Like they felt horrible and they felt like they were failing. Yeah. Like they were failing sinful people. And for an elder to say, basically, I can't see it. Yeah. Maybe I'm complicit here. Maybe I'm not. Maybe he didn't do this unintentionally. I don't really know. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Well, what he tried to do was one, distance himself. And then two, 
he left it open-ended that he didn't say anything wrong about Timmis. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was just protect, protect, protect. Yeah. And he did go over later at the end of this and said, but instead of being protected by us, they were broken by the experience of the crowded house. So I don't agree with 90% of what yeah. is in this quote at the end. I think he's valid to point out, of course, they were hurt. Yeah. They're totally hurt. Ugh. So sad. All right. So then the last one here, um, it's evident that stories shared from interviews that many people have been deeply wounded. This is not just by Steve Temis, but because they feel others in leadership have at best failed to listen to their concern and question and at worst actively perpetrated the culture that has equated honest questioning with a failure to submit oh, to the authority of elders to rebellion and sin. Ugh. People reported numerous instances they had tried to seek help from the elders over the concerns about Steve Timmis, only to be told, that's just Steve. Yep. Have some grace. Have some grace. That's just who he is. He doesn't mean it that way, you know? And then the last quote is, I'm beginning to see that we have effectively brushed over these concerns because we have really never dared to listen. So that's a quote from an elder. Yeah. Uh, at the end of it. I mean, John, I like... What, how do you, like, how do you make sense of this as a person? Can you even make sense of it? You know, I can't, I can't make sense of it. I mean, I can see logically how it happened. It was the perfect storm of every, of failing at every level to create an environment that had um, godly checks and balances in it um, and accountability. It was just, it's just a mess. And honestly, it, you see this in the secular world and you expect for it to be different in a church and in, in God's kingdom. But in this instance, it's just not in a lot of instances. It's not. It's this idea of like we protect at all costs the um, the organization, which in the crowded houses um, case, the organization was Steve Timmis. So Steve yeah, is totally Steve is. His image matters more than anyone else, no matter what. And we won't even hear the opposite because to hear the opposite could tarnish Steve's image and Steve's image matters because if that crumbles, the whole church crumbles, which is not a gospel centered church. It's a Steve Timmis centered church. <laughs> that goes back to what we are known for. Yeah, it's horrific. It never really dared to listen was like just an insane quote like it was a it's a daring feat to listen just to listen yeah. to something that was hard yeah and imagine like if you if you if you are one of these victims of the crowded house or you have an abuse story of the crowded house why would you want to share your story you wouldn't like that's the culture you were surrounded by wouldn't you i would just i would just want to leave it's pointless but it does talk about that yeah people just left and never shared anything. And why would they? Look at look at what they were up against. Yep. All right. So I'm going to talk about Section 3. Section 3 is were any of the alleged abuse incidences known to anyone at the crowded house prior to the media publication. That's the Christ, uh, Christianity Today article. Yep. And lo and behold, they were. <laughs> what has become clear as people have given their accounts is that apparently everyone – that every alleged incident of abuse, bullying, harassment, control was known about by was known by somebody, but nobody was aware of all of them. 
I mean, that's a great, I, and again, me putting on my British lens, that's a great way of saying they all knew about them. Yeah. They were there. Yep. Which is just so sad. Mm-hmm. The reports the participants indicate that many people left quietly and took the stories and questions with them. Often mm-hmm. they were too bruised to speak out or take action until months or years later. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. I mean, it damages Spiritual abuse is so damaging. It's so insidious because it seeps into all of your being. <laughs> so these people are having to heal aside from the community and family that they that they had built at the crowded house alone on an island before they're even able to, like, pull their head out of water to understand what they even went through. And, and that's all right. So that's a great I can't believe you just said that. It's like you read the whole report. <laughs> so that, so in this section, they talk about common incidents or that everyone know, knew about. And they talk about this one couple that wasn't going to sign the membership covenant because they had uh, issues with, uh, lo and behold, the women's role in churches. Yep. So they didn't want to sign the covenant because of that. It sounded like they had been going to the church for a while. So this is from them says that after they they said they weren't going to sign it, they were banned from going to Bible studies (laughs) and other church events apart from the Sunday gathering, further making us feel worse than unbelievers and pushing us further out of the church family at a time when we were engaged, planning our wedding, and prepared for married life. We would have liked the support rather than pressure. The church was my family, and we really wanted to make our spiritual home together. It became, for me at least, another family that just didn't want me. This is so heartbreaking. Uh, And I guess for the other individual, she left with a deep feeling that she was not good enough, which is just completely insane that you leave a church and you feel like I'm not good Mm -hmm. enough. They met with the elders shortly after their wedding to discuss how to go forward. After some conversation, there was no attempt at reconciliation. Well, why would you reconcile? Yeah. And we were met with the phrase, so have you started looking for other churches yet? Oh, gosh. When you hear us laugh at this stuff, it's not because we actually think it's funny. It's because we've heard so many. It's so sad. And honestly, like through... um, researching and gathering stories for this podcast, I have heard the exact stories from other people. They've experienced these in their own churches. Like we've talked about, Timis was the CEO of Acts 29 after Mark Driscoll was the leader of Acts 29, which again, go Google him if you need to know what he thinks about this stuff. And it just trickles down and it is so gross and like it's like a poison that just infected everywhere. And so it's almost like you either have to cry or laugh because it's like they all read out of the same playbook. <laughs> yeah. Which and probably the crazy did. thing is, is these people, all that all, I mean, literally all it basically said was that they, they didn't want to sign the membership covenant mm-hmm. and the church basically said, all right, see you later excluding them for things that like if I just walked off off the street to go to a Bible study and I I wasn't a Christian or I didn't believe anything, they would have welcomed me. But because they had Mm -hmm. a complaint or an issue or a challenge because about women's, you know, women and the how women reviewed in the membership covenant, they were completely exiled and cut off. That is crazy. That is crazy. It's horrifying. And that goes back to a little bit as we talk about complementarianism. I mean, there's there's a lot of views about complementarianism. And I know a lot of people who are who believe in that and they're and and they have a, a view of it where like something like this would never happen if you challenge their view on yeah. it. They still love you. 
this is a way yep. to use that belief to intimidate and bully people and to get yep. people in line to believe the way you want them to believe. And if they don't, mm-hmm. you're out of the group. You're no longer yeah, at I the mean, birthday it's, table. So It's abusive. This whole story is abuse. It's taking someone who walked off the street that they have no influence over could be a part of this, but they're taking the things that they have influence over that God has entrusted them with and using that to hold them to their standards, not necessarily biblical. It's a secondary issue. That's what the Acts 29 website says, a secondary issue. That's a good point. Um, It's definitely not the gospel. All right. So we're going to move on. So we'll talk about the next section really highlights why did it take so long for the abuse allegations to come (laughs) to light? Um, The abuse allegations for Steve Timmis actually came to light five years before this uh, when the entire, essentially in 2015, actually nine staff was in located in Dallas. Steve Timmis was the CEO. That entire staff wrote a letter to Matt Chandler and Acts 29 with similar allegations that you read in this 318 report. That that staff mm-hmm. was t- cut out, axed, fired, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. I've heard terminology. The board. That, yeah. The I, board fired them. I heard terminology <laughs> say this because the, the, they were moving the offices to England or to be closer to Steve, but whatever. They brought those allegations. They were not heard. Those people were fired. So, yep. I mean— the, in our opinion here, these allegations have been there for a while. This is just mm-hmm. trying to say, within the context of, of the crowded house, why did it take so long? So here I'm looking at, um, so it talks a little bit about, about that, and then I want to talk specifically or look at specifically when those that leave, though you try to leave the crowded house, um, what that was like. Mm-hmm. Participants have repeatedly commented that those who asked difficult questions were told they were free to leave. Yep. <laughs> this happened in John at our church uh, when we started questioning our pastor. We yes. used, uh, different groups of people were told to leave. And in our church setting, the, the mm-hmm. groups that were told to leave were those that didn't have a lot of money or influence for the most part. Yep. Um, that mm-hmm. That's where, where it looked like. Which is almost everyone <laughs> yeah. because we live in Los yeah. Angeles. <laughs> so, so again, just, a, just another, we're laughing at it because we've heard it before multiple times. Yeah. Like we said, you laugh or you cry. Yeah. There was a widespread nar- narrative that was woven about those who did and that no one wanted to be the next person to be branded as the one who didn't get the vision, was going against mm-hmm. God, against scripture, was rebellious, unrepentant, a sinner. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. Like this belief, you're going to hear it in almost every story that comes up. This idea that you just aren't on the same Literally in our situation, a bus was used as an example to one person, which is crazy because that's what Mark Driscoll said that you hear in the beginning of this podcast. Uh, This idea that if you have questions or if you are a problem person, then you are going against the vision, the God-given vision. So you're going against God himself because... God's vision that this man, Steve Timmis, was having yeah. is like the most important thing. And you're not going to you're not a part of it anymore because you're my you're yeah. a problem person now. Like, so. Again, which is insane because the most important person in the Christian faith is Jesus. That's really the only person that matters. Yeah. And we're going to these sermon centric yep. Sundays to listen to a guy 
preach. I, I mean, it's just crazy to me that 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 yeah. the, not only that this would be allowed, but that as you can tell in this report, that it's encouraged this godlike, and I think that's an appropriate term to say here, godlike, godlikeness of Steve or the le- leadership team that they're inspired yep. to lead you in a way that if you go against them, that you're considered to be a sinner, rebellious, uh, going against God. I mean, I, just imagine being told that you're going against God. Imagine that you've just joined the church and you've been a Christian for two years. Something comes up, you don't understand it. The pastor explains it. You say, I don't believe in that, or I, I still don't understand it. I think you may be looking at it wrong. And you're told you're going against God. Do you want to be a Christian anymore? I mean, do you? It's horrible. <laughs> it's you're just- a sinner. Oh, you're a sinner. You you believe that way? You're a sinner. There's no hope for you. Yeah, Aaron. Um, Aaron is my husband. For those of you who don't know me, which hopefully is many of you, <laughs> it's not just our friends listening to this right yeah, now. It probably just is. Uh, Aaron and I were were t- probably Aaron and I were just talking about this idea of um like church and Jesus. And he was saying, it's like eating too much candy and making it feel like your stomach hurts after you've had so much candy. And I was saying, this isn't even good candy though. Like it's not even enjoyable to eat this candy. So you're eating gross candy that doesn't taste good. And it makes your stomach hurt afterwards. That's what ingesting this stuff is like. Like it doesn't even make you feel good in the beginning. It's just like you're awful, terrible human. You are less than. You will never ascend to Steve Timmis level. You have no, I your your entire being and opinion does not matter at all. Your questions do not matter. Just put your head down, listen, and be a good be yeah. a good sheep. I mean, in, in in essence, like the story about the 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 couple that just had a question about the membership covenant. The insanity of being told just because they're questioning one thing and they don't agree with it, that you can just leave. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the, like, when I read about the early church, the early church had all different types of people from all different types of walks of life and career and vision. And when I read the Gospels, like, that to me is what God wants, all of these groups of people coming together, learning and reading together. Uh, growing together. A radically diverse yeah, radically, group of people. Yeah. As long as you believe in everything that we believe in, we're radically diverse. All of our secondary issues. Yeah, I mean, you just have to really look at that. If you step back, if you're if you step out of your if you, of your church situation, if you step out and you see that you're not allowed to ask questions, you have to wonder what are they so scared of? If we start asking these questions, like what can damage can come? Is that damage going to actually come to God's kingdom or is it going to come to their Ah. system? And if me asking these questions damages their system, what the heck is their system? All right. So that that's great. What you just said. So it the report (laughs) says participants who had left were often tearful in giving their accounts of the pain and costs involved. Two quotes. We were afraid that Steve would curse our future. Totally not normal. Yeah. And the second one is when we decided to leave, we were forbidden from explaining why we left for the sake of the reputation of the church. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, honestly, though, Jay, I experienced that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I you will hear my story. My future was straight up threatened. 
This is literally threatened. Did they threaten your internal for, future for asking or just questions? Your, your on Earth future. We're both threatened. Or <laughs> is there any internal damnation thrown at you for? <laughs> they uh, didn't say anything like "I will yeah. kill you," <laughs> but basically, I mean, the subtext, the under the surface, was like your career's yeah. over. Yeah. And all I did was ask a question. All so I get it. It's you're fearful, your future, especially if your job is in ministry. These people probably their jobs were in ministry if they're they were scared for their future. So how are how am I gonna get another job? How am I gonna pay my bills, feed my family, which is a whole other thing, but also how am I gonna do what I love that I feel God called me to if Steve tells other people what he yeah. thinks of me? Yeah. That's horrifying. That's horrifying. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the, the struggle, the part that I struggle with is that this idea that um, that you would ever threaten anyone, whether they agree with you or disagree with you, from a theological, even if it's disagree disagreement from a theological standpoint, that you would ever threaten mm-hmm. them, or they would feel so much fear and self contempt that they feel threatened. That is a thousand percent mm-hmm. unbiblical. There's, it's a really big not, red flag. Yeah, for it not sure. only is a red flag; it is deeply troubling, and should deeply be yes. probed to understand why this type of culture or emphasis on loyalty was ever created or allowed, and why it hasn't been emphatically mm-hmm. repented against and right. justice sought for those that felt like this. It is deeply troubling, um, and that's why this report is, is. to me. It's really well written. Uh, it's good. I I sometimes feel like as I'm reading it, I wish that there was more emphasis on how damning this is for the church. Yeah, like for, for it's it is it is mm-hmm. soul ripping, soul mm-hmm. soul stabbing or scarring, whatever you want to say, type of language yeah. that these people are going through and events and experiences. So. Super sad. It is. All right. So talk about section five now. Section five is centered on the culture or the environment at the crowded house that contributed to the alleged abuse allegations. And in section five, there is a subsection on pastoral care. All right. Here we go. Buckle up. (laughs) Participants recounted that seeking pastoral support or counseling outside the biblical framework approved at the crowded house was strongly discouraged. So we all know right now, looking at the framework, the framework Mm -hmm. that the crowded house had was one that put Steve Timmis at the forefront. He was infallible. You couldn't challenge him. You couldn't question him. If you did, you were you were unrepentant sinner, going against God, rebellious. So now imagine trusting them with your emotional health. And they're in charge mm-hmm. and approve what type of counseling that you get. <laughs> it's just it's what I think you said it was soul crushing, yeah. some of this stuff. It really it's such a head trip, too. It's just the ultimate level of controlling abusive gaslighting behavior you can't ask questions here if you ask a question we'll kick you out but you're also not allowed to go ask other people questions so you basically just can't Can't, you can't have questions and if you do ask questions we're going to tell you the right type of way to ask them and where you can go to get them who who you can ask them to yep 
So, all right. So there yeah. are individuals who spoke about needing counseling after leaving the crowded house. Well, of course they did. Yes. <laughs> Thank God uh, they went to counseling. Due to being told repeatedly that they were problems uh, and believing this to be uh. true. Some reported that the culture by Steve Timmis, but also by others in leadership, led to significant emotional and spiritual and mental damage. You go to a church, you, you go to find Jesus in community, you leave broken and in pieces, needing to be put back together by therapists and those that help. If like that, if like if you read this sentence and it doesn't chill you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to rethink, you need to rethink your theology. Because yes. that right there is so unchristian. Like there's nothing Christ mm-hmm. glorifying by that statement. And that that we should look on and go, oh, that's okay. That's just some people. They've got you know, they had issues prior yeah. to this. It's sickening. It's sickening, right? But like John, in your story, like yeah. I mean, you you sought counseling as well. And it's not like the church wrapped their arms around you to help you understand what was going on. It was pretty much no. like kick you out the door and see you later. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> nobody could talk to me about what was going on or they would be gossiping. I couldn't talk to anybody about what was going on or I would be gossiping. So you're alone. You're completely alone. And thank God I was at an amazing therapist who was able to name the things that I was experiencing. And she would say, there's narcissistic tendencies here. You're experiencing something that sounds very similar to narcissistic abuse. And me being able to have those tools was literally just a God, a God thing that that I had that framework going into conversations that I unfortunately had to go into. So this is, this is interesting. At the end of this, it says people reported that in some instances, groups were told not to pursue people who had left. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at other times they said it was more of an unspoken sense that they should not do so. As a result, the personal stories of those who had left were not heard by other members of, of the crowded house. Mm -hmm. So yeah, whether it be through, the culture, you just felt it or you were told, don't don't go talk to so-and-so. They're going mm-hmm. against the vision. Yep. Or even that unspoken, it's just been spun up to that. They don't even have to say that at that point, probably. For the most part, that just is known. And unfortunately, um, for listeners out there, that really goes back to why we wanted to do this podcast, because that wasn't just a crowded house thing. That is across the board. These stories of abuse that are coming out of these churches from within the Acts 29 network, people leave and their stories are not heard. And they're, they, if they are heard, they're not heard from their voice. They're heard from the abuser's voice. Yeah, there, there's, there's only one so, view. It's from... Or one narrative that's from those that were the abuser. And the crazy part is when other organizations come in to investigate, at least for 31.8, like they actually went out and and got some participants to reply. And you can read the report and be like, wow, this is insane. But for other churches, they don't go talk to the participants or those that have the allegations. They go talk to the leadership of the church. Hey, there's an allegation against yeah, you. Would, and, our, that has yeah. what happened at, at yeah, our church. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our church, 
They brought in another group of people to investigate our situation, and that group of people was highly influenced by Acts 29 and never even gave the time of day to the people who were alleging abuse. We all got like 15 minutes. That that to me is also like the, you look at it and on the surface, you would say, well, they brought someone in, but when you dig down into it, you realize, well, they don't really care. They're just bringing people in to check they the box, box and move on. To protect the image. To protect the image. At least we have this 31.8 report. Yes. So the last section we're going to just talk about real quickly is still under pastoral care. It talks about complementarian theology. We're going to talk about complementarian theology probably at a later episode, dive into it more. There's a lot of good experts out there about uh, explaining complementarian theology, where it came from, where it is today. Uh, there's also some mm-hmm. good books to read. But I think it's important to at least establish what how complementarian theology goes wrong um, at, at the crowded house, and also how this theme comes up again in other stories that you're going to hear. So the crowded house uh, is at the reformed end of the theological spectrum and holds a complementarian view of women. So then it talks a little bit about women's view on this report and what they thought about this says those women and men who did raise this issue so had an issue about complementarianism had an issue affirmed that they were themselves complementarian by persuasion but were concerned about the interpretation so there was issues that came out people said yeah we believe in it but we're we're concerned on how it's being interpreted or enforced would be another way to yeah. look at that one female participant reported mm-hmm. concern that women's voices were not heard Others reported that a number of professional women had left the church as a result. One young woman who came as an intern reported that she was dismayed to discover that there was no opportunity for her to do any Bible teaching or receive feedback. She reported that the culture was very male-dominated and that women were not encouraged to study the Bible together. That, in fact, there were a few spaces where women could teach. The same woman reported concern that men should not have personal responsibility for young women reporting conversations she felt were inappropriate, personal, and probing. However, the most telling was an ex-elder who reported feeling that the complementarian discourse had shifted in recent years and was applied the way that was detrimental to both men and women. And then he goes on, talks about gender mm-hmm. stereotypes, misrepresentations of uh, gender stereotypes. And then there's a quote at, this, at the end that said, it gave wrong expectations of and to young men warps godly character and humility, sets up an idea of godly male that doesn't, that some men don't need to hear. I need to be nurtured as the man that I am. It's unnecessarily hard for women to be outspoken if women are happy in the background and no trouble. This is confused with godliness. (laughs) What? Yep. Outspoken women with rightly held opinions are in for a bumpy ride. So let me read that again. If women are happy in the background and no trouble, this is confused with godliness. Outspoken women with rightly held opinions are in for a bumpy ride. Yep. I've heard, I mean, I've, there are stories currently going on within churches in the Acts 29 network where these things are being said directly to women still. Like, my wife knows not to have opinions. Stuff like that. It's a very widely held belief this weird abusive it's not weird this abusive commonly held (laughs) theology that's been warped and twisted into a way to control women and unfortunately like the elder said it's also really really bad for men and young men because it's 
it's yeah, it's false. Yeah, it's, it's wrong. I mean, there's a lot that you could probably talk about there with with how that's applied, and I, I and that section is really short. It's actually a pretty short section of the of the overall report. So there's probably a lot more you could dive into, but I think the importance is just understanding that there is a view that that the reform theology has about women's roles at the church and at home. And you can you can look at it from a biblical standpoint, and I mean I don't I don't believe this, but you can look at it from a biblical standpoint and say, okay, I can see where the Bible has these different roles for women and mm-hmm. men, and I and I believe in it, um, but how they're using it is abusive because they're not using it in any type of biblical yeah. form. They are silencing the women. Uh, women don't when when a woman doesn't feel safe or she feels like conversations are inappropriate or probing or there's no space for her to share her opinions or thoughts even if you're a complementarian that's not right like that that's not that's not a, a right. right view of of how we should treat women as a church or a, as a denomination or whatever your belief system may be it's wrong mm-hmm and I think, in my opinion, I think a lot of, <laughs> a lot of churches, yeah, in your opinion, <laughs> it's just wrong. We can say that one's just wrong, but a lot of churches, um, and again, we're specifically talking about within the Acts twenty nine network or Reformed in general. I would say that they would say that they would agree with that statement on surface, but in practice, they're doing nothing to create an environment where a woman would feel safe or has any authority to speak up if she feels unsafe. And honestly, what I see in these stories when it's a woman coming forward with a story of spiritual abuse or any type of abuse that she's experienced within um, a church that's associated or affiliated with Acts 29 is complementarianism is being used to... um, effectively silence 50 to 70% of their congregation. They have no authority. They are dramatic. They are equal, but really the lesser. So to come forward and say, Hey, this, the way that you're teaching this is wrong or makes me feel uncomfortable. Can I ask you questions about this? What did you mean when you said that in your sermon, you've taken away 50 to 70% of the people that can ask those questions because they don't have a voice. Now you only have, I guess, 30 to 50% of people that might ask a question. And then all you got to do with the rest of that percentage is just make sure that they're terrified. So you get, you silence all women. Any gifting that they have is is basically useless unless it's cooking or taking care of the kids. And the men are terrified or not man enough if they do ask questions. Does that speak into their radical diversity? Seriously, it's radically diverse <laughs> thinking. It's just, it's mind blowing. And I don't, I don't think, I really don't believe that a lot of these churches, I don't even think Crowded House really sat down and thought, this is what we're doing when we make these decisions. When we set up this system, this is actually the ramifications of that. But what is happening is now they've propped themselves up so much that they can't question their own system. So when they're provided with the results and the effects of the policies that they've put in place or the beliefs that they've put in place they're they don't even themselves have room to yeah. change the way that they do things because they've preached it as gospel 
yeah, they've married it to I the gospel. That, that's a really good point because now if they start pulling in those threads of the theology that they've set up, right, that's not a biblical theology in the sense of how they treated people, right? They start pulling in those threads. Now yep. they have to start questioning everything and their faith starts to crumble. But in yep. essence, that's really what needs to happen. We need to start pulling on these threads that aren't biblical and start challenging ourselves to really question why do we believe this way and how is it impacting other people around us? It's really disturbing. What I would say is like that's that's all of the section of the crowded house. I don't know anybody who went to the crowded house. Um, I, we've, we haven't talked no. to anybody who went to the crowded house. But I would say that I'm just really, really sorry. Uh, I, I, I read yes. this report and it just breaks my heart that anyone had to experience mm -hmm. this. And if you're still going through, I'm sure you are, but if there's people that are still struggling with this type of, uh, just to make sense of the abuse and what they went through, just you are not alone. You are not the problem. You are not a rebellious, unrepentant sinner. You are loved. You are made in the image of God. You are valued. You have worth and purpose. Mm. And what happened to you was wrong. Yes. And we're praying for you, too, as we're doing these episodes. Like, you're at the forefront of our mind. I know we talked about Timis a lot and his leadership, but but the reason we're digging into this is because of you. And especially the people that were willing to speak up and those 83 people that came forward after all we've talked about how hard that is to come forward and how scary. We just want to thank you and let you know that you're yeah. not alone, like Jay said. Um, and I would really like to uh, really quick just read a definition of the gospel because we keep talking about the gospel. I think like one of the easiest places to see just an outlined this is the gospel is actually 1 Corinthians 15, 3. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel <laughs> right there. All of this other garbage that has been added on, I guess not all garbage. There's been, there has been yeah. some good that has a lot of good that has come from our faith communities. But when we talk about the gospel being center, that's the gospel. And if you're starting to feel something else coming into the center, if you've experienced the fallout of something else coming into the center, I'm sorry. That's not that's not what you were supposed that's not what's meant to be. That's not what the church is supposed to be. And even Acts 29, their first thing, we want to be known for spreading the gospel. That's the gospel. Well, that's the gospel. As we finish up this episode today, I want to take a look at the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is greeted by an eager crowd. As Jesus makes his way through this crowd, Luke says that he was almost crushed. Somewhere in this chaotic mass of people, there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Because of her ailments, we know that from a Jewish law standpoint, she would have been considered unclean, which would have made her an outcast and probably pushed her to the outskirts of this large group of people. Luke tells us that no one was able to heal her, so for this woman, meeting Jesus was probably her last hope. I've been in a crowd like this before. It was at a concert over a decade ago. The concert was in an open field at Slane Castle in Ireland. 
There were 80,000 people in attendance, and to get to the open field, there was only one path. It was a narrow, uphill, muddy climb through a dense, wooded area that was surrounded by an eight-foot chain-link fence on either side. The journey seemed to take forever. People were pushing, singing, talking, shouting, and even cursing at each other. It was so disorienting, and for a moment, I thought, am I even going to make it to the top? If I wanted to turn around, I couldn't. The massive bodies behind me were pressing on me and inching me forward. I picture the woman in a similar crowd, not by size, but intensity. She could probably see Jesus, but getting through would seem impossible. I believe the crowd around knew her, but because of her condition, they didn't give her the time of day. Luke doesn't tell us how she got through the crowd, but she did. And just as Jesus was passing, she was able to touch the edge of his cloak. As soon as she touched the cloak, her bleeding stopped. Jesus stops in the midst of this chaos and says, Who touched me? Peter's response is great. Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. It's Peter's way of saying, Everyone is touching you, so let's keep moving. But Jesus didn't move. He stood there and said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. To me, Jesus' response is a stunning acknowledgement of the woman's faith. However, the woman was probably scared out of her mind. Luke says she came forward trembling and fell at the feet of Jesus and told Jesus what she did. Right then and there, this woman was emptied for everyone to see. I think the crowd was probably shocked to see who it was. Her life was probably filled with not only physical pain, but emotional pain as well. She was exiled, ignored, covered with shame. Now she's on her knees trembling in front of the entire town, knowing that people behind her were angry and upset because she was interrupting their time with Jesus. Luke documents that Jesus spoke nine words to this woman. Nine words. That's it. What did he say? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Earlier in my life when I read this story, my intention focused on the healing of her body, which is a miracle and something to be celebrated. But to me now, the real radical love is in Jesus' words. Jesus spoke to her identity, her worth, and his longing for her life. He not only healed her physically in this interaction, he also healed her soul. Stories like The Crowded House and Steve Timmis make me question a lot of things about the church. When people are openly gossiped about, asked to leave, labeled as problems, sinners, millstones around others' necks, and leaders either choose not to listen or worse, go along with it, how do we make sense of it? In a way, I think the church has become like the long line of people I experienced at Sling Castle. We push and press forward toward the goals of church planning, growth, conversions, baptisms, small groups, and all other programs. But like the woman in Luke 8, some people are left out, pushed to the edges, or even worse, ignored, because they disrupt or distract us from our goals and ambitions. Jesus could have kept walking. He knew the woman was healed, but he didn't. Jesus stopped. He listened to her. He acknowledged her story, and he embraced her with love. The woman in Luke 8 doesn't appear again in scriptures, but I wonder what her life was like after that brief encounter with Jesus. Was she able to find peace in her life or a community where she felt known and loved? What about those around her? Did they seek her out and apologize if they wronged her or ignored her pain and suffering previously? Did they start to open their doors to those who had similar afflictions? What about the disciples? I'm sure they were used to crowds, but this one almost crushed them. The bedlam of that moment had to be unnerving. What did they take away from the interaction? Did they understand it? How did they carry it with them? When the concert ended at Slane, I was fearful that we would be forced back down that narrow path with a now very inebriated group of people. 
However, to my surprise, there was a new path. This time we were directed to an open road that led us through the city center, which was well lit and filled with pubs, restaurants, and shops. People walked leisurely while singing, laughing, and taking in the local scenery. I'm sure there was a logistical reason why this more enjoyable path was used for the exit, not the entrance. But I was surprised how the walk changed my entire reflection on my evening in Slame. What started with appreciation and second-guessing, my decision to ascend, ended with a sense of jubilee and wonder of what I had just witnessed. I think we as a church have two paths set before us on how we'd address church abuse. The first will be to keep doing what we're doing today and continue to focus on programs and numbers. And if we take this path, I think eventually people will stop coming to our churches and stop listening to us. The second one is more radical, and it might cost us our ambitions and goals. What if we as a church acknowledge and own the hurt we've caused and allowed? We listen and welcome the stories of abuse victims and survivors with love, and we help them find a way to be whole again. For John A. Harris, I'm Jay Coyle, and this is the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. also been affected by abuse within the Acts 29 network, please email us at connect at bodiesbehindthebus.com. You are so much more than just a body behind the bus. You are worthy of love and care, and your story is important.